When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. Our Clark Deals team has worked an unbelievably hard week with all the sales that took place from the major retailers as this Christmas season, unlike any others, we have had one of the two waves of big sales we're going to have for Christmas already now in the rearview mirror. And as I've shared with you in the past, this Christmas season, all the deals are going to be over, uh, for a practical matter, by the end of November. December is relatively speaking going to be an expensive time this year to christmas shop and in short the reasons have to do with delivery of goods and the huge surcharges that fedex and ups have imposed on december deliveries so retailers have had massive incentive to push things earlier and walmart for the first time in i don't know how many decades is not even open Christmas Day. I mean, I'm sorry, Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day has always been a huge sale day for Walmart. And in fact, Walmart this year has been very upfront. And the Walmart people now have published when their big sales are going to be in November. There's no longer going to be a specific Black Friday sale is the is the core and the key to how you're going to save at Walmart. And they're going to do three sale windows in November. One that starts November 4th, one that starts November 11th, and the third that starts November 25th. And so the idea is to spread the sales activity out And one of their key criteria is to improve safety for their employees and customers. As they said in a a response to a question from USA Today, why they were spreading out what was normally the Black Friday event, why it's being spread out over these three different sales waves. Each wave will start first online, And then only secondarily after an online exclusive period for in-store. And so there will not be the kind of thing like, Joel, I mean, I've picked on you for this story for (laughs) as long as I've known you. You stayed up all night. I, I did. In a Walmart store. I did. To buy a TV that you don't even have anymore? Well, I've. 
finally that was a long time ago that was like uh that was like 12 years ago i think when i got that tv and then last year black friday was the time i finally replaced it so yeah did i did you stay up all night the the black friday last year too no black friday's gotten so much easier you don't have to stay up anymore which is great so yeah initially i was with uh, a a couple buddies we literally had to keep our hands on the tv for like for like all, the whole night we could go to the bathroom and have a friend like watch the tv for us but fortunately it doesn't have to be like that L- last year when i bought mine it was just a great deal i bought it and chose like curbside pickup kind of thing and it was awesome it was so great it was so much better than, than the overnight thing well so this year is going to be even easier where you'll have online only online with curbside or store pickup or in-person shopping and you'll decide and again the three waves and so this is this is a very very different thing but hear me now your wallet will be crying later if you ignore me on getting your christmas shopping done by the end of november you are gonna just hate how much extra you're gonna have to spend doing any christmas shopping at all during the month of December. So pay close attention to the calendar and know that each retailer is going to have their own wrinkle, but know that the spread out kind of idea of the three waves of November sales is more kind of the tone now and how it's going to play through this Christmas season. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns. Kim. All right. This is from Pat in Virginia. Pat says, I keep hearing a lot of information on TV and on radio about criminals selling your home that's already paid for. There's a fee to pay if I want to buy some sort of coverage that protects my title. But we're retired. Our home is paid for. We don't have that much money. I'd rather not waste it if we don't have to. By the way, our credit's frozen. Should I be worried about this? So this is uh, something that was a non-existent idea in people's minds that has been spread through uh, various advertising that criminals are just standing by to steal your home from you. And particularly the roughly one in three Americans like you who own your home free and clear worry especially when you hear that somebody may swoop in and steal your home. It is an extremely rare crime. It has happened in a tiny number of cases. And it's not an insurance product that I recommend you jump in on. What I do recommend instead is check with your county to see if your county offers a registry like many do now across America where they will notify you if there's any activity involving the title to your house. The uh, kind of coverages that are being touted around the country generally only alert you once the problem's already taken place anyway. So I would say of the things to worry about in life, this is not on my list. Joel? Clark Manny in Massachusetts says, I've got a few more months to go on my car lease but I'm not a huge fan of the car. A car at another company's dealership caught my eye, and I was approached by a salesman at that dealership who said that I didn't have to wait for my current lease to end. 
He said his dealership could take over my current lease for me, and I could start leasing the new car I'm interested in now from that dealership. Oh, Does this sound right to you? Any ca- catches or gotchas I need to be looking out for? Yeah. Uh, when a dealership says, don't worry about it, we'll take over your lease, unless the leasing company signs off on that and releases you of liability, you would then be liable for your old lease and your new lease. And also, you don't have possession of the vehicle. Something happens to that vehicle, and the lease has not properly been transferred out of your responsibility, you could be in a heap of trouble with that vehicle. So I don't trust that unless there is a full legal release from the leasing company and until and unless they can produce that document you would not be able to rest easy understand you don't like the vehicle um, just making it through the few remaining months before you replace it with a new lease would actually be a preferable thing kim Gary in Florida says, can you give any suggestions for what funds retirees or those close to retiring could put their savings into that has less risk, especially during this current time period? In order to still pull a little bit of income, I would greatly appreciate some sort of advice. This is really, really hard. And it's a a question, a problem facing so many people that are pre-retirement or in retirement because what you can earn on your savings has been crushed. So generally, the strategy recommended by uh, financial planners is that you have enough cash available in CDs or savings accounts, simple, boring stuff that you're getting just trashed on return to cover a minimum of three years of living expenses in retirement. That only beyond that amount of money are you in a position where you can look at investing. Because by its very nature, investing means you'll have down years as well as up years. The size of your account will shrink from time to time when you invest. But the idea is the shock absorber is always having three years or more of living expenses in Dullesville, in savings accounts or CDs. And then the other money that you have, if you are lucky enough to have enough money for the conversation I'm giving you right now, having with you right now, if you have enough, then beyond that, your money is invested. And it could be in a target retirement fund. 2020, since you're already in retirement, or if you retired several years ago, 2015, there would be a fairly conservative portfolio that would still have exposure to stocks, which you need to overcome inflation over your time in retirement. But it starts with having money in CDs or savings, even though the returns from them now are non-existent. Joel? Clark Gregory in California says, I keep hearing you pushing credit unions for mortgage loans and saying how bad monster megabanks are. But what about direct lenders like Quicken, for instance? How, how are those? Non-bank lenders are fine, and they are an absolutely viable alternative using what, what's called in the business a non-bank lender or using a mortgage broker 
or using a credit union. And the best thing for any refinance is you inquire with as many places as you possibly can in a very short period of time. Since you will not harm your credit for multiple inquiries for a mortgage that take place in a short window. The problem with the giant banks is they are um, very expensive to do business with and as a practical matter they are not price competitive on mortgages with virtually any other outlet you can go to for a mortgage. Kim? Dorothea in Georgia says, do you know how I can check my business's credit? Through a DMB report done in Bradstreet report, and you may or may not have a DMB, and generally with a DMB, you're going to be asked to subscribe to pay for DMB to create a rating for you. It's a little different than a credit score. And with my corporations, I get solicitations from DMB over and over again trying to get me to uh, pay the fees to be part of their system. And I uh, am in the fortunate position that I run my companies with no borrowed funds, so I have not actually participated. But that is the process. Go to Dun & Bradstreet's website and read how their services work. And uh, a lot of businesses, when you're a small business, no longer evaluate you for credit based on a DMB. They do it based on your own personal credit score. So it may not be as useful or valuable as you might think, but they are the equivalent of a credit bureau for small businesses and and, uh, some larger businesses as well. Hi, Erica's with us on the Clark Howard Show. How you doing, Erica? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. So your fiancé is young and is already really working on trying to save money for the future, which is outstanding. Tell me about this. <laughs> yeah, um, so he just moved in with me last year, and then he got a really good job at a company, and um, they have a really good... 401k and so when uh, he was eligible for it we both kind of looked up looked into it and um we both kind of figured like maybe the Roth would be a better option since they take out the taxes right away and he's still young so he has a really long way to go until retirement and uh, my mom was like well why don't you just do like the traditional and so now we're just both kind of confused because we're not sure like what is the better option for him in the long run first of all how old is your fiance He's 20. 20. Okay, so that's uh, number one why he should do a Roth is Roth 401k because of his age. That would be a big advantage for him. Also, what kind of income is he getting from the job? Yeah, um, so he makes about 42,000 a year. Definitely the Roth. Okay. (laughs) So there's there's not even gray here and... um, I'm sure your parents mean the best for you and for him, but the way taxes are right now on an income like he's got in his age, uh, putting that money into a Roth, knowing he never has to worry about the money that will grow over the next 40 years facing any tax bill at all, is so worth it that he should absolutely 
continue doing the Roth 401k option. And, and the company with a match, the match is going to be traditional. So he'll have both post-tax money and pre-tax money, which gives extra flexibility in retirement. So he is, in a sense, already doing some amount of traditional with what that match would be and represent. Oh, okay. Yeah, we we didn't know that. So that's cool. But yeah, my mom was just saying, because I think she's doing, I mean, obviously she's older, but she's doing a traditional. So she was like, just do the traditional so that you guys can save money now because it doesn't take out taxes. And she was saying that it was going to be the same. But in the uh, actually, it's, it, there are a number of reasons why I respectfully disagree with your mom in this case. And it is a better decision to keep doing what you're doing, uh, what he's doing with the Roth 401k. And I'm just so excited that at 20 years old, he's already doing this. And I can tell, talking to you, you're really into this as well. Because saving for your future, the younger you are, the easier it is to build up real financial security. And you should both be really proud that you're on that track. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. I want you to know about Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. It's when you hear me say something on the show as an answer to someone, advice, information, or opinion that you feel is incomplete, inaccurate, or just wrong. You know, this show is not a typical talk show where everything's about the host having the last word and being all-knowing and all that. We all know and learn together as members of Team Clark. So you're a member of Team Clark. If you go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and share with me and share with others where you feel I didn't deliver for you. And then weekly, producers Kim and Joel go through your posts on clark.com slash clarkstinks and share favorites with you right here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, a little bit of a strange start today. This is really a Kim and Joel stinks. Really? Yeah, but Al says, and he has a very good point. He says, why do you keep presenting Clark Stinks posts on your podcast when the very first thing that the poster says is that Clark doesn't stink? It's so common to hear Clark doesn't stink, but, and this seems kind of hypocritical. And Clark, I got to say, that's a really good point. So moving forward, anytime that someone has written that, we're we're cutting it out. Okay, makes sense. You know, it's, it's people who who may respect me, but respectfully disagree, and they don't like saying that I stink. But, you know, there are plenty of times I do. Right. (laughs) Joel? All right, Nick didn't have a problem with uh, getting rid of the niceties. He says, Clark, 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 I'm gasping for air at the advice you gave a listener. It stunk so bad. I'm glad we weren't in an elevator. (laughs) A caller asked for advice (laughs) on avoiding paying the annual fee on the Chase Sapphire Reserve card. And you told her to open a city double cash and close the card she's established uh, an unknown amount of years of history with. 
I know the City Double Cash is an easy go-to answer, but please do a little better with your credit card advice and maybe the variety. The caller can easily downgrade her Sapphire to a Chase Freedom Unlimited or Freedom Flex. They're both no annual fee cards and have benefits parallel to the Sapphire cards for non-travelers right now. Not to mention the accounts get to continue to age on her credit. I love your show. Listen every day. Keep up the great work. You know, that is a good piece of advice and a good answer. And I usually say that with the card you have, with the issuer you have, see if you can transition to a no-fee card. And I should have said that in that case. And so I'm so glad you did that. Kim? All right. This is from Bill, but it's also on behalf of many, many others. Bill says, I've been on Medicare for about 18 months, and I know for a fact I've never had to pay for a flu shot. I thought you said you were on Medicare now, yet you said that you paid for your flu shot at Costco. What gives? I'm in an unusual situation where I only have Medicare Part A with hospitalization, and the reason is I still have um, health coverage that has kept me from having Medicare Part B uh, Medicare Part D or a Medigap policy. So I am on my own. In my case, it did turn out that my insurer, not Medicare, but my insurer ended up picking up the cost for the more expensive shot I had to have because I'm 65. So the reality is I ended up not having to pay, but it was not Medicare that paid for the shot. And that's probably really confusing to anybody who's not on Medicare. I will tell you right now that Medicare is a very, very complicated program. And it takes a while to get used to all the lingo, all the choices, and all the gotchas. Joel? Clark Sean says, something that really annoys me is hypocrisy, especially from someone I admire like Clark. On a recent show, Clark was asked about making money by renting strangers' authorized user status on credit cards as a way for these strangers to improve their credit score. Of course, Clark did the right thing by saying this was a bad idea because of the risk involved. And Clark also said it was a bad idea because it goes against the spirit of the way the credit industry is supposed to work. But Clark has repeatedly said over the years that it's a great idea for a family member to add other family members as authorized users to their credit cards as a way of boosting credit scores. So which is it? Ethical to add someone as an authorized user to boost credit scores or unethical? Wonderful, wonderful question. And I mean, wonderful post. And your question posed very well. I guess the distinction for me has been that I'm so much into family, uh, being there for family, that I have a, a blind spot to the hypocrisy that you so well pointed out. So I, I would say that you are right that in saying that doing it for a stranger that you're just selling your good name to versus lending it to a family member can be looked at as a sign of hypocrisy. Um, I just look at it as a way that a family member, uh, you know, a parent helps a child older brother helps a younger brother or sister or whatever. And so maybe I do have hypocrisy in me and a blind spot. Kim? 
Clark, you did a question recently where someone needed to move funds um, that were $5,000 or more from their bank, and two different people wrote in with two different suggestions on hand how to handle that. The first one is from John, and he says, you had suggested several apps like Venmo or Cash, but why not link one bank account to another? This setup is similar to setting up any sort of online savings account. The end process is simpler, safer, and easier to track without a middleman. And then Bessie also has a suggestion. And she said a question was asked about limits on external transfers and how one might get around them. My credit union clerk offered a suggestion. Add the online bank that you want to transfer money to in your account's bill pay. This way, one can send as much money as they wish to any external account. It worked for me. Okay. Uh, first, thank to, thanks to both of you for your suggestions. In the first suggestion, that is, as I understand it, what you have banks that are limiting you, where you have linked an account with an outside online bank, and they limit how much money over the course of a month you can use that link for. The idea of using bill pay as a way to send money, as the second poster said, is really smart. And I don't know why I didn't think of that when this came up the first time. And I appreciate both of you with your thoughtfulness about this. Joel? This one comes from Aaron. He says, you preach to us that you should leave the big banks and join a credit union because they're owned by the people and have better service. Well, you should take your own advice when picking your favorite NFL team. Your precious Atlanta Falcons are owned by Arthur Blank, who's worth about $6.1 billion and was named one of the richest sports owners in America by Forbes. He sounds like a big bank to me. You should think about joining the credit union of NFL teams. If you haven't guessed... The Green Bay Packers! Exactly. He says they're the only NFL team owned by the people. All the profits the Packers make go back into the community and then not to line the pockets of some billionaire. So if you're not happy with the results of your team... No Super Bowl wins and an 0-5 start. Maybe you should look at the credit union of NFL teams, the Green Bay Packers, 13 championships, and a 4-0 start. You should see how many Packers jerseys my wife has. Because my wife is an actress, and uh, she used to do, for years, she did commercials for a furniture chain that was very prominent in Wisconsin. And every fall, she would do the commercials in Green Bay Packers jerseys and so we have an entire collection of them the falcons well i love my team and i'm loyal to them and i actually know arthur blank and he's a very nice man and that he is worth 6.1 billion is news to me i didn't know that but the way the packers are owned is really really neat kim Jonathan says, Clark, I hear you think crypto is a scam, and I say to you this, remember a time, before my time, by the way, when credit cards first appeared and many people didn't believe in it or trust that it would actually work instead of cash? Well, that's exactly where we are now with crypto. Crypto is the future of currency. Maybe less than 10% of the entire human population invested in crypto, it could be much bigger and if people like you started believing in it, it would be off to a good start. Thank you for your post. So uh, the idea of blockchain, which is the guiding principle of any crypto, is a very valid 
economic concept. But cryptocurrencies as they exist today are not a valid form of currency or payment. You referred to them as an investment. Money is not uh, a traditional investment because money should maintain a consistent value with very little movement day to day. Over significant periods of time, currencies will move in value one to another. And so the value of a currency, that let's say the dollar versus the euro or the, the pound versus the yen or whatever, that they move in value every day, but they move tiny amounts. Cryptocurrencies are not yet a valid form of currency because the movements in price are too dramatic and they are not truly convertible in that you can't use them for everyday purchases. They are not accepted that way. Even the most known of all of them, Bitcoin, is not truly a convertible currency. So yes, someday a cryptocurrency may be a real alternative to government-issued funds, but not yet. Joel? Clark Craig says, surveys, surveys, surveys. You use them often to make a point. It makes for an interesting show, but who in the world actually responds to surveys? Not me. <laughs> good point. Uh, if a survey doesn't have a good sample of who is responding to it, then the data is suspect. So that is a very valid point, and there may be times that I've been as guilty as anyone else of quoting from a survey whose uh, database is suspect. I appreciate all your posts. Please, when you feel that I have missed the mark, go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know. Rosemary's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Rosemary. You're helping your mom out, aren't you? That's right, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. What's going on with your mom? So uh, my mom is 76 years old, and she is moving from her condo that she's lived in for the last 42 years into a senior living apartment building. Okay, so that's kind of amazing. seriously downsizing. Wow. So she's lived the same place since she was, what, 34? Four years old? Is that what you said? Seventy. Mm-hmm. That's wow. right. Yeah, my whole life. Yeah. It's the home I grew up in. Crazy. Okay, well, how can I be of help uh, with this move in her life? Um, so there's a few things I wanted to ask you about. Um, first of all, with the downsizing, there are some things that we're leaving behind that could potentially have some value, like um, small vintage antique type things like a China Demitas set and things of that nature. And I was wondering if it would be worth it to try and sell those things. And I was considering eBay, but I didn't know if eBay was still what people were using or if you had a better recommendation or if you thought maybe it just wasn't worth the trouble. Well, I mean, when you're, when you're vacating a space, and you're trying to move things, possessions on site, eBay is really only used for things that have substantial market value. Usually what people do is they either use Craigslist, so you're dealing with local people, or they'll use a neighborhood Facebook page. 
And in uh, she's in a condo, you said? That's right. Is there any condo website where she can post things that she doesn't want to take that she has available for sale? Not that I'm aware of, but I'll check into that. But uh, usually as you're trying to move older goods, it's it's really a matter of local, local, local. And okay. Where somebody comes and gets them. Now, let me tell you, I, I'll lay it out straight. When you use these Facebook pages, which is the most popular right now, or Craigslist, you're going to have people who say they're coming at 10 a.m. and then they, they ghost you. They never show up. And right. so, so you have to be prepared for that. So you start earlier rather than later to try to move stuff. And best to try to list things on the Facebook uh, neighborhood groups or on Craigslist on Fridays to try to move Ooh. stuff on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Because a lot of times people tend to follow a pattern where they're only looking for things that they can get a good deal on on the weekends. Immediately. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, the second thing that we are needing to get rid of for her is her vehicle. So um, she had already stopped driving. The car has been sitting for about a month. It's not in great condition. I was considering donating that to my local public radio station. Do you think that's a good idea or is there a better option? So doing that is really uh, solely an act of charity because there's really no valuable uh, tax benefit you get from that. So mm -hmm. that is, if that's something that you really enjoy and want to support, donating the vehicle that way is great. Um, you could, though, score more cash, believe it or not, and give a larger donation, potentially, if that's what she wants to do, by uh, selling the car. There are all these people that will sell non-running cars that they then come and pick up from you they buy these, you sell it to them, and they'll pay you a few hundred bucks, even for a vehicle that doesn't run, because they want it for the parts. I was wondering where I would list it. Um, the vehicle is a 2008 Toyota Yaris. A Toyota Yaris from 08 may still have more market value than you realize. Okay. Go on uh, like Edmunds.com or Kelly Blue Book and build a value for it. And you may be able to sell it to a Toyota dealer who would like to have it on their used vehicle lot because there's such a shortage of used vehicle inventory that I would try potentially that. And uh, I know that's more work for you to do, but I think that might get your mom more money. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.